so tonight is the Bible study that I was originally planning for a couple weeks ago to get started on, and it's on original sin, and it should only, this one will be three weeks, and then we'll pick up with maybe free will for five weeks or something like that. So let me go ahead and just share the screen, and we'll go ahead and get started. Kind of an interesting verse to start with, but have patience with me. Lord, from Matthew 18, 29. Let's go ahead and open with prayer as we begin this study on original sin, part one. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to have a Bible study, even if it is by a virtual mode, Lord, on the Zoom meeting. We thank you for this opportunity. We hope that more can join us this evening. And we ask your blessing on our time and all our words that we say and all the meditations of our hearts. And may they be pleasing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I don't know if you thought about this too much. Um, kind of comes up in my mind from time to time. But it's this understanding of the difference between original sins and actual sins original sin, not sins, and actual sins. A correct understanding of sin is foundational to understanding the gospel. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it's actually foundational to understanding a whole lot of things. It's foundational to our understanding of um, the uh, of justification, for one thing. And here comes Fred. Okay, so as, uh, we were just saying, Fred, that um, a correct understanding of sin is foundational to understanding the gospel. The more we come to realize the severity of our condition, our, sinful, our sinfulness, the more our appreciation for the gospel's beauty grows. If our problem is only that we do bad things, we make mistakes, we mess up, you know, uh, then the solution is the opposite of that, to do the right thing, to do good things. That's how we fix that problem. And that's a lot of what people like Joel preach. They preach that people make mistakes, that they do bad things, and then the solution to that is that they go out and do good things. If our problem is that we're sick or weak, what do we need? Do we need salvation? And if so, is our salvation merely a matter of healing and giving us spiritual strength? The Bible, though, tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And this means that salvation must be God's work. In Ephesians 2.1, it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So the Bible is really, really clear that that's our condition. And you who are dead in your trespasses and sins, that's from Colossians 2.3. So sins versus original sin. Anybody have any thoughts on this idea of the original sin versus like actual sins? I never have thought about it before. I, I, I've thought about it only because I've heard people preach on it and teach on it for a couple of years. Um, but the original, original, 
But, no, go ahead. I was going to say, <clears throat> it's an original sin. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's inherited. I mean, we're, it's, we're all sinful by nature. Would that be considered original sin, especially since uh, Adam and Eve were casted out from the Garden of Eden? I mean, we all became sinners then. Yep. And that's, we're going to talk more about that, but that's true. Um, I was just thinking this afternoon that there are people out there who, and, and I can, I have to admit to being one of them for a while, um, that had this notion that um, you didn't become a sinner until you sinned. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but some people will say, uh, they, they try and, I guess, draw a distinction between are you a sinner because you sin, or do you sin because you're a sinner? I always thought we were born as sinner. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I was not raised in the Lutheran faith. I was raised in the Catholic. So I just remember being taught for some reason that infants and toddlers, there's a like they didn't actually sin until they were aware that what they were doing was a sin. But even even in the Catholic faith, wasn't there uh, limbo for for the uh, uh, children? Yes, or, yes, like like a form of purgatory. But um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then and then you have the whole more American evangelical view that, or I guess Baptist view, right? That that um, there's an age of accountability. So it's almost as if they're saying that before that, if you sin before that, it's different. Yeah, yeah, you, you're immune until you're uh, eight years old or ten years old or twelve years old or whatever they pick as the number. Right, and I always want to stop and ask them. It's like, so what happens if they die when they're five? and they aren't baptized. Oh, God has a separate plan for that. Well, okay, what is that, and where is it in the Bible? <laughs> so, um, it's just you can't see it, and that's the problem. Um, there's three things we're gonna look at first. First, it is true that Christians should regard and recognize as sin, not only the actual transgression of God's commandments, but also that the horrible, dreadful, hereditary malady by which the entire nature is corrupted should above all things be regarded and recognized as sin indeed. Yea, as the chief sin, which is a root and fountainhead of all actual sin. So that's addressing original sin as kind of the fountainhead it's not just the actual transgressions where you know you know you lied or cheated or stole or coveted or whatever it's that there's this nature like you were saying steve there's there's this hereditary nature that's corrupted above all things and i'm not sure we talk about that as much as we should Again, Colossians 2.13 says you were, that you were dead in your trespasses. It's like that's our condition prior to being saved, right? You're dead in your trespasses. You're not on life support in your trespasses. You're not alive in your trespasses. You are dead in your trespasses. 
and then you need to be revived in the sense you need to be born again the difference between sin and original sin is the difference between the tree and the fruit our sins are the bad fruit of a corrupted nature so you have this passage here from matthew 7 it says so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. How do you connect that? How does Jesus use this illustration of the tree and the fruit to teach us about our sins? These are kind of open-ended questions that in this study that I'm taking this from, they didn't give you like an answer key, so we have to actually figure these out, guys. How does Jesus use the illustration of the tree and fruit to teach about our sins? Sounds to me like the tree represents choice and those things that that were given to us uh, and and the things that that we could use. Uh, but the fruit were those things that, or I, I guess it's still the same thing. The fruit is uh, those things that are given to us that that uh, sustain us and and help us. Uh, but uh, there's there is certain things and certain fruits that we're not supposed to do or partake, just like bad apple. Okay, uh, okay, but it's it's saying every healthy tree bears good fruit. So if the tree is healthy, the fruit is good fruit, and if the tree is diseased, the tree has got bad fruit. So what's our condition before salvation? Uh, our condition before salvation is dead. That kind of lines up a little bit with a diseased tree. So mm -hmm. the only thing that a diseased tree can do is sin, right? Um, a healthy tree, in a sense, you know, now I'm not going to go so far as to say it can't sin, but um, but I, I, I'm not. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it a little bit, you know. So how does this illustration of the tree and the fruit teaches about sin. I think it, we're all diseased trees. We're all diseased trees apart from Christ. So that, therefore we sin. And that means everybody. Um, Martin Luther called original sin, this original sin, a nature sin or a person sin, thereby to indicate that even though a person would think, speak, or do nothing evil, which, however, is impossible in this life, right? Since the fall of our first parents, his nature and person are nevertheless sinful. That is, thoroughly and utterly infected and corrupted before God by original sin, as by spiritual leprosy. So this is that hereditary sin you were talking about at the beginning, Steve. It's um, since the fall of our, of our parents, our nature and person are sinful. Now, I think we should pause in just a second. I want to ask a question, but I'll finish this. On account of this corruption and because of the fall of the first man, the nature of a person is accused or condemned by God's law, so that we are by nature the children of wrath, death, and damnation, unless we are delivered therefrom by the merit. Of Christ. So I was going to ask a question. Is, is 
being human, I gotta figure out how to ask this right. Um, is it sinful to just be a human being? Tricky question. Yes. Well, I, we, this is kind of one of those things that kind of can hurt your brain just a little bit, but it's like, is, is the human body in a sense or, or being human, is that inherently sinful? And we want to say yes, right? Well, well, well there's, there, there's, there's kind of the uh, before and after the fall part of that, right? Right. What, what, when, when, we, when Adam and Eve were created, they were without sin. Correct. They had human bodies and they were without sin. And then the fall happened. And what did that fall do? It broke everything. It broke yes. our, our humanity to where our nature now, and sin did my mother conceive me. I think that's coming up in a, a couple of pages. Um, but the, the larger question is then, is it sinful to just be human? And the reason I'm asking that question is because it, it, that affects how we think about Christology, about Christ. Christ was born incarnate, became man. So is simply being man sinful? We'd have to say no, because that would mean Christ had sin by simply becoming incarnate. I hope I'm saying all that right. But you see what I'm saying? So, so just the human, just the human part of us, just our bodies are, they're broken and all that kind of stuff. But um, just that in and of itself isn't our, our sinful nature. Sinful nature is something that's in, that we inherit, that Christ didn't inherit. Well, we aren't sinful until we act. Christ, when he acted, never acted sinfully. We're not sinful until we act. That's hmm. that's sort of like what we were saying just a minute ago that that you know we're not sinners until we sin. But what we're kind of getting around to here is that there's this original sin that we're all born with which means that we are born desiring to sin. We are born, I think the word is concupiscence. Mm -hmm. our, our inclination is to sin. And therefore that's what we do. It's what we will do, you know? Um, but I don't think that we can, we can't draw the distinction and say we're don't, we're only that we are sinners because we sin. We, we have to say the other, we have to say that we're, we sin because we're sinners, because we're born that way, as Lady Gaga would say. <laughs> well, but, 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 but at, I mean, at the same time, Christ was born as man and God, and he didn't have original sin. He did not have a human father, right? So he wasn't born, he didn't inherit Adam's, um, Adam's sin. He didn't inherit original sin when he was born. Right. 
Whereas when we're born, we immediately inherit original sin. Rudy yeah. disappeared. Oops. Okay. So um, there's a number two coming up here. Um, but first we'll read this scripture, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, we read that earlier, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And we all know the rest of it. So how does this teach us about original sin? If, no matter what, we have a nature, right? If we have a nature that we're children of wrath, right? And we were born dead in our trespasses and God had to intervene to make us alive. Then that means that the moment we were born, you know, we were, we had sin. We, at the moment of conception, we'd even have to say, probably. Would we agree with that? Yeah, I was conceived in sin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oops. What do we deserve because of our original sin? We deserve the wrath of God. That's what we deserve uh, because of the original sin. But by grace, you have been saved. Or by grace, you've been saved. And this not of your own doing. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, second. God is not a creator, author, or cause of sin. This is a big debate sometimes. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, but by the instigation of the devil through one man's sin, which is the work of the devil, has entered the world. So the devil instigated. Adam sinned. Eve sinned. Uh, and then sin entered the world. But God, we cannot say that God is the creator, author, or cause of the sin. I'm not sure why people debate that, but they do. It says in Romans, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. I mean, one man, that's how sin entered the world, not by God, but by man. And the, then death came because the wages of sin is death. And Adam shared it with, with all of us. Thank you very much, Adam. Appreciate that. Not really. So how did sin enter the world? By one man's transgression. One woman's transgression. What entered the world through sin? Death. Death did, right. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is right, as he is righteous. Who's this? I think this is, I, I capitalize the H because I'm kind of thinking that must be referring to God, right? Because the question was, who is righteous? Well, there's only one who's righteous. There's only one who's good. And that's God. And if God is righteous, which we know he is, 
he cannot be the author or creator of sin. That would be an unrighteous thing to do. Would it be right to say that, that Satan was sinful when he was trying to tempt Adam and Eve? Hmm, good question. Um, I mean, didn't, wasn't he trying to make a convert out of uh, Adam and Eve? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was trying to get them to follow him and to want to be uh, their own God or be God, right? Because he said, then you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Mm -hmm. um, before that, they only knew good. They knew the goodness of God. He walked with them in the garden. He talked with them. After that, after the, the transgression, then they knew evil because they knew death. They knew that they had done wrong. and that there would be wrath and punishment for that. So God said, right away in the garden, you know, that he's got a plan for how to fix all that. And then Eve thought immediately that her, one of her firstborn was that fix, right? Also, could you say that we were born, or Adam and Eve was born with accountability because they were born as adults and they could understand and speak. And oh, I don't know. Gosh. Huh? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, it makes you wonder. It does. You know? That's a curious thought. They, um, well, they, that's, that's a whole other discussion and it might come up next week is this whole, whole idea of could they have not sinned or, you know, and, and how do you think about God when you think about whether or not they could have, did God make them perfect? That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Hurts your head a little bit. So when we can start getting into error, if we start speculating too much. Yeah, there, there's a lot of danger in running through the hypotheticals. Oh exactly. yeah. Exactly. Even at the present day in this corruption, God does not create and make sin in us. That's not what he does. He redeems us from it. He doesn't create it and make it in us. But with the nature which God at the present day still creates and makes in men, original sin is propagated from sinful seed through carnal conception and birth from father to mother. So the tree analogy um, the tree is now diseased, right? So the tree, the, the seed from Adam, just continually person upon person, generation upon generation, just keeps bearing bad fruit because it, it, it bears men with original sin. And each one of them then needs salvation. They need that to be all remedied. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51.5. That should be something we all know. I know the verse, but I just don't know chapter and verse. But in sin did my mother conceive me. When I was conceived, 
I was already a sinner. I may not have actually sinned yet, but I was a sinner and I was going to sin. So when did we inherit our sin? At conception. That's when it becomes us, a part of us. No, some people don't like to hear that. Thirdly, what and how great this hereditary evil is, no reason knows and understands, but it must be learned and believed from the revelation of scripture. So just by our nature, by our reason, we don't get this. We don't get how, uh, what it is and how great it is, this, this inherited sin that we have. We have to learn it from God's word, and he tells us. Go all the way back to Exodus, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In other words, I, he couldn't abide with them at that moment because of their sin. Right? He would end up consuming them. I guess stiff-necked people must be just another way of saying, besides stubborn, that they're sinful. So how does the Lord show the people their own sin? I mean, he kind of just tells them, because you're stiff-necked. And I'm not, and, and you're going to know it because I'm not going to be able to be with you. That's how you'll know you're sinful. Um, who can discern, discern his errors? Hmm. Declare me innocent from my hidden faults, it says in Psalm 19:12. Hidden faults. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And that's kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever ran into this before, but there's this notion in the Catholic Church, of course, where you have to go to confessional and so on. And they really want you to dig down deep sometimes and, and confess everything and have everything absolved or whatever. The Lutherans take a different approach. Anybody know what that is? So a, a more general confession. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I don't get the exact wording from the Book of Concord, but it's like, if you're aware of a specific sin, confess that sin. If you're not, just confess that you're sinful, that you're, yeah, you know, we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and things we've done and things we've left undone. That's the general confession. But we're supposed to have a quiet time you know, it's usually like in school, the minute that really is only five seconds, but um, where you can say in your own head to God in church, uh, Lord, I, I stole a pen from work the other day, or I coveted my neighbor's, you know, Jeep monster truck, you know, or whatever. And instead of agonizing, the confessions say, don't, don't put it on people that they have to agonize over every sin. Because that's um, it's just not possible. Because it says right here, declare me innocent from hidden faults. So we don't know all of our sin. We know a bunch of them. But we don't know them all. 
you guys can't see it, but here it is. So, um, how is it that our sins are hidden? Well, we were just talking about that. There's, there's sins that we commit that we're not always aware that we commit. There are sins that we commit that we somehow manage to forget. And um, the, the idea here is that God will forgive us even those. He'll forgive us the sins that we know of and the sins that we're unaware of. If we cannot see all of our sins, how are we to know about them? Good question. We cannot see, see all of our sins. How are we to know about them? We just know because God tells us that they're there. We know because he says that there are hidden sins, hidden faults. Okay, we're going to talk about five things we must say about original sin, and then we'll wrap this up. The first thing we must say is that this hereditary evil is the guilt that by reason of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, we are all in God's displeasure and by nature children of wrath. That's the first thing we have to say about it. That it is the guilt that by reason of, our, of Adam and Eve's disobedience, we are by nature children of wrath. We don't, we're not, we don't become children of wrath when we, when we sin, especially if we do a biggie, um, we are by nature children of wrath. And we can remember that from Romans where it said, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So. Um, Sin was in the world before the law was given because the law didn't come until Moses, right? Other than the law that's written on our hearts. But you think, well, then I can't be, you know, how could I have sinned when there was no law to transgress? Well, there was. I think Cain knew it wasn't good to kill his brother. Mm -hmm. And then we read earlier in Ephesians, among whom all we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, that's all, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that's what we have to remember, first thing we have to remember, is that this hereditary evil is the guilt that by reason of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, we are all in God's displeasure. Every baby that's born, nobody wants to hear this, is in God's displeasure because they're by nature a child of wrath. Second thing, original sin is an entire want or lack of the con, con created? I guess that's a word. Uh, original sin is an entire want or lack of the concreated hereditary righteousness in paradise or of God's image, according to which man was originally created in truth, holiness, and righteousness. Like you were saying earlier, that's how we were created. But then we listened to the wrong voice. We didn't listen to the voice of God. We listened to the voice of Satan. And that broke everything and put this hereditary sin in place. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Not all who reach a certain age, just all. 
So who has fallen short of the glory of God? All. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden, which they hadn't done prior to that. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So Adam, knowing evil, was now aware that he had sinned. And he thought he could hide and hide it from God. And God's like teasing him, I think, where are you? Like he doesn't know. But Adam is just so honest. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because he now knew that he was deserving of the wrath of God. So who has fallen short of the glory of God? All. Everyone. Everyone. That's right. Okay. At the same time, original sin is an inability and unfitness for all the things of God. The definition of original sin takes away from the unrenewed nature of the gifts, the power, and all activity for beginning and affecting anything in spiritual things. So this is another thing that gets discussed a bunch, uh, knocked around on the internet, is this idea that we have some ability to participate in fixing all of this stuff. There's some spark in us that wants to cooperate with God in some way. And this is kind of pointing us to the fact that somebody who's dead can't do anything. There's no, nothing in us. You know, the whole, you know, I used to think that too, I think to some degree, this whole idea of that there's a spark of goodness in everybody because everybody's created in the image of God. Like everybody's created in a broken image now. And that means that they can't do anything to affect this. There's no power they have for affecting anything in spiritual matters. And that's why understanding original sin can have an effect on your view of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. A gift of God, nothing you can do you know, no boasting, not of works. So if you understand original sin, can you see how it's connecting a little bit? When you understand original sin properly, you understand justification better. So sometimes one doctrine can kind of mess with another doctrine. If you get original sin wrong, you think, well, nobody's sinful until they sin or until they're age eight or 10, then you have to think that justification works differently for them than it does for people after they've seen. And you just have to go against scripture to say all of that. Back to the screen. Um, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So this natural person, this child of wrath, this sinful being this person with original sin and actual sin, this person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they can't 
until when? When are they able to? Because you have to notice it says they not only they do not, the natural person does not, but the natural person isn't even able to. So how does this text teach us about our total lack of spiritual strength? We have none. Yeah, we have zero. We have zero spiritual strength apart from being born again. And these things seem so clear, but then I have discussions with some people online or even in person sometimes, and they don't seem to understand it. And so, okay, let's just have a chat. Okay, number three. I think one of the third thing we must say about original sin is that original sin in human nature is not only this entire absence of all good and spiritual divine things, but that instead of the lost image of God in man, it is at the same time also a deep, wicked, horrible, fathomless, inscrutable, and unspeakable corruption of the entire nature and all its power. Long run on sentence. Can you hear my dog in the background? Not sure why she's barking especially of the highest principal powers of the soul and the understanding, heart, and will, so that now, since the fall, man inherits an inborn wicked disposition and inward impurity of heart, evil lusts, and propensity. Wow. I don't want to hear that. We all, by disposition and nature, inherit from Adam such a heart, feeling, and thought, as are according to their highest power and the light of reason naturally inclined and disposed directly contrary to God. Wow, slow down <laughs> on that one. Uh, we all by disposition and nature inherit from Adam such a heart, feeling, and thought as are according to their highest powers and the light of reason naturally inclined and disposed directly contrary to God and his chief commandment, that they are enmity against God, especially as regards divine and spiritual things. That's where we need to directly insert the word concupiscence, because that's what it is, that, that we have just this disposition and nature that are directly contrary to God. That's what we're born with. So what do you do? What do you do with that? Well, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Again, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, those who are not regenerated cannot please God. Christians, even though they continue to sin in a weird way, please God because we're Christians and we repent and we get forgiven. But the people that don't think they have anything to repent of, they cannot please God. They're dead. Is it possible for sinners to please God? No. Why not? Did I just give the answer? Because they are just corrupt. That's weird, dog is barking as much as she is. In other respects, as regards nature, external things which are subject to reason, uh, man still has, okay, this is, this is kind of the, the counterpoint to it, because people will say, well then, do we have nothing that we can do? 
because um, I talked earlier about reason, uh, that it's all kind of messed up. In other respects, though, as regards natural external things which are subject to reason, such as what shirt to wear and all that kind of stuff, man still has to a certain degree understanding, power, and ability, although very much weakened, and I'm going to have to stop sharing so I can read this, very much weakened, all of which, however, has been so infected and contaminated by original sin that before God it is of no use. You hear that? Before God it is of no use. We can do some things in earthly matters, but there's just this corruption. Everything's contaminated by original sin. What do you do with that? That's a hard, hard thing to hear. Everything is contaminated by original sin. So even our best works, what's that saying about even our best works? I was going to say our <laughs> best works would be how we are around other people, our family, uh, our uh, things that we do that we get rewarded for or want feel like we're being rewarded for you know well it's like you know the right thing to do you know the right thing to do is like to wrong. to um love your neighbor as yourself yeah. but even your best effort at it even your best effort at loving god and loving neighbor is contaminated isn't that interesting which is why we say you know, forgive us for things we've we've done and things we've left undone, things we've said and things we've left unsaid, things we've thought and things we've left unthought. You know, whatever thought, word, and deed. Um, because everything, even our best works, are like filthy rags, in a manner of speaking. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do them, right? We should absolutely do them. It's just that we need to understand that none of them our column A. None of them get us into, into heaven. None of them get us justified before God. They're simply things that we're called to do as best we can and understanding that we always will not do them without some contamination. Fourth, the fourth thing we must say about original sin, punishment and penalty of original sin, which God has imposed upon the children of Adam and upon original sin, are death. That's the punishment. Death eternal damnation, and also other bodily and spiritual, temporal and eternal miseries, and the tyranny and dom dominion of the devil, so that human nature is subject to the kingdom of the devil and has been surrendered to the power of the devil and is held captive under his sway, who stupefies and leads astray many a great learned man in the world by means of dreadful error, heresy, and other blindness, and otherwise rushes men into all sorts of crime. That's the devil's job, right? Just get you, you know, get you to mess up. So, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, when we do come to this understanding that the wages of sin is death, right? wages of sin is death. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm done for, you know, I'm done for because I sin. Then we, we get the, 
the, the gospel to get the free gift of God, and that's the eternal life in Christ. So we know that though we sin, we are forgiven. But that doesn't mean we sin all the more. Always got to say that. What are the wages that we deserve because of our sinful nature? Death and eternal damnation and other bodily and spiritual and temporal and eternal miseries and the tyranny and dominion of the devil. That's what we deserve. But God doesn't give us that. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He doesn't give us what we deserve. That's grace and mercy. Right? Instead, he comes to us with gifts and he comes to us and gives us light instead of darkness and forgiveness instead of condemnation. What kingdom are we born into? Anyone? What kingdom are we born into? You got to unmute yourself. Well, we're, born, we're born in the kingdom of earth. Sinners. Right. right. We're born into the kingdom of darkness. We're born into the that's what we're born into. And then we, we're yanked out of that into the kingdom of light when we're baptized, when we're given the gift of faith. Right? Boy, that dog doesn't usually bark very much. Hope you guys can't hear it too much. We'll get to the fifth thing, and then we'll kind of wrap this up for tonight. This hereditary evil is so great and horrible that only for the sake of the Lord Christ uh, it can be covered and forgiven before God in the baptized and believing. Moreover, human nature, which is perverted and corrupted thereby, must and can be healed only by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Ghost, which, however, is only begun in this life. It's never finished in this life. It's only begun, but will not be perfect until the life to come. So remember a while back, we, we talked a little bit about how love is only begun. Remember that? that? class many, many weeks ago now, love is something that's only begun. You never stop. You never get to a point where you go, I've loved my wife enough. I've loved God enough. I've loved my neighbor enough. It's only begun. And that's the same thing here with this idea of um, there's a now, not yet. You are saved, but you're being saved. Oh, India. Um and we're, we are perfected, not in this life. This, this life is a journey of, of sort of bits of perfection, I guess. We get, God does kind of get us improved here and there. But it's not about that. that. The whole journey isn't even about that. The journey is just about being faithful unto death so that in the life to come, we have perfection. We have that gift complete. what else we have to say here. This is the last slide, so we're getting close. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we can't have the victory any other way. We can't do enough, say enough, think enough, whatever enough to, to merit salvation. It all has to be a, uh, that's a God thing. Be honest, I'll talk about something being a God thing. That's a God thing. And then, uh, so who gives us the victory over sin? God does through Christ. 
no, that's a weird way to say it because Christ is God. But it's like, we have victory through Christ. When and how does he give this to us? When and how do we get this victory? Do we get it when we go to Joel's church? When he died on the cross. Well, that's, that's where he won the victory. Okay. And there's another, this is a little short little side here, but there's a big difference between where salvation is won and where salvation is delivered. So you address the where it's won. It's one on the cross. One on the cross and, and baptism. Right. It's, it says right there in that, in that, uh, that passage, um, it says that in the baptized and believing, Christ, uh, for the sake of Christ, it can be covered and forgiven before God in the baptized and believing. Very carefully worded, I'm sure. Which is done by the renewal Regeneration and renewal of the Holy Ghost, which is what happens in our baptism. Thank you, Lord. Right? It's like the water's poured on us, the words are spoken over us, and bam, we're regenerated, we're renewed, and we are no longer children of wrath. Isn't that pretty cool? You are not children of wrath. For the uh, what is it? Jesus said, He did not come into the world to condemn the world, right? the world stands condemned already the world is in darkness the world has that inherited original sin it stands condemned already just by being there but he came to bring salvation to bring life i just think that's awesome and that i believe is the last slide for tonight guys yeah well shall we wrap it up guys or doing good on time but let's go ahead and close in prayer and uh, I'll go have some dinner with my wife. Heavenly Father we thank you for gathering us together in this virtual way Lord through these uh, zoom meetings to be about the study of your word Lord and to talk about our inherited nature our original sin our concupiscence we thank you Lord that you didn't leave us there that you sent your son into the world to uh, live the perfect life that we could never live to suffer and die and pay the penalty we could never pay so that by faith in him through the word spoken in our baptisms that we can not no longer be children of wrath but we are children of the light children that will be with you in eternity uh, thank you again for this time lord and uh, we've got more to come so bring us back next wednesday to continue our study through the original sin concept and we ask all this in jesus name amen amen thank you Jim. much appreciated